Hello and welcome to Future Fuzz, the digital marketing podcast. Today you're listening to this podcast. I'm delighted to welcome today Matt O'Neill, Managing Director of ModComs, to the first ever episode of currently unnamed podcast but soon to be um, released. So welcome, Matt. Thanks very much for joining me today. Thanks so much, Justin. Absolute pleasure to have you here. I'm just very curious about your background. What's what's going on there? Is that from some sort of film or something? Oh, the background. Oh, well, I suppose in order to reveal it, I should sort of duck down a little bit. So it's uh, it's actually taken from the remake of the Blade Runner film, Blade Runner 2049. And uh, it's got no more meaning in it other than I was looking for an interesting background beyond you know like sometimes people might have the office background or the or the coconut tree swaying in the wind by the beach i was thought no i want something that's not quite as cheesy as that so i wanted something a bit more visually dynamic that's all it is a bit more futurist it looks very very pretty i actually know one of the artists that uh, designed one of the drones on on the film i still yet to see oh, it. wow it's terrible i haven't seen it yet yeah yeah well the original blade runner is brilliant i also think the new blade runner was a bit underrated as well. I thought was it was it Ryan Reynolds? I think who was Ryan who Gosling. played uh, Ryan Gosling. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I thought he did a really good job. You know, I thought it was a great film. I need to check it out. So Matt, we we actually let's talk about how we know each other and how we met. We haven't met in person really yet, but I saw you give a really good talk at the Ocean Outdoor Creative Awards. I think it must have been about three three and a half years ago now. Pre the days of pre-COVID when hundreds of people were crammed into a, uh, I think, a cinema in London. And I saw your great talk. So that's how that's how we got introduced. And then we then we kept in touch. So, you know, you're you're known for your keynote, uh, let's say your keynotes, uh, Futurist Matt, but also managing director of Modcom's agency. Maybe just tell us a bit about that. Well, you know, it's funny you should mention that talk. So I think it was November 2019. It was the Ocean's uh, Digital Out of Home Creative Competition Awards. And one of the overriding memories that I have of that, and it's only ever happened that time, was uh, I was quite nervous. I was drinking a lot of carbonated water. And there was a moment where I took a pause. And, you know, if you can imagine an auditorium with 500 people there, I let out quite a large belch, you know, which reverberated around uh, the auditorium. And I was very embarrassed for a moment, but that's one of my overriding memories of that. Uh, it was a good talk, actually. I enjoyed it. it was, we got into some really interesting things like uh, space advertising, you know, and will we see uh, huge billboards in, in space, you know, projecting onto Earth's atmosphere. It was sort of some pretty wacky stuff. Uh, but no, to, to come back down to Earth, uh, so yeah, I've been running ModComs, which is a creative marketing and communications agency since about 2009. Uh, prior to that, though, I was involved in doing live webcasting back in the early 2000s. So I was working with a company that was very pioneering in that space at, uh, at the time. This was in the days when, if you were lucky, you'd be able to see a live video about the size of a small matchbox. Obviously, now we're pumping through uh, high-definition videos, no problem. It was very, very technical at that point. Um, and then sort of fast forward, got involved in lots of creative processes, I suppose. One of the areas I was involved with was early social networking. So back in 2005, we were setting up, uh, this was in the days before Twitter, Facebook, etc. We would set up online communities uh, for clients and help them to run it. Uh, and I think one of the really enjoyable sides from that came from setting up event blogs. So the idea being that we would work for clients who were hosting events to expand the reach of their event. Uh, before 
before um, before the event in order to uh, sort of help people to understand what the event was going to be about during the event to expand that reach and then often with corporate uh, clients following up on the outcomes that were discussed at the event so it's been pretty uh, pretty interesting it's been sort of quite digital type work uh, and then as you say in recent years got involved more in the futures work uh, but the core absolutely at the core for the last 12 or so years has been mod comms and that's be, been a lot of b2b marketing and also quite a lot of internal communications that's a little bit of background about uh, me great interesting yeah i do remember just go like back a bit i do remember that belch that burp that was um, really a defining moment in that, yeah. uh, in that keynote but you know that's that's a usp that's maybe what people might remember but it was a really really good talk and great to hear that's about right. mod comms i'd be really um and and i'm Keen today to let's say focus on B two B. I think that what we discussed before we, um, you know, doing the podcast today. That what things can we speak about? Let let's potentially um, talk about B two B marketing in a post COVID world because everything's been turned on its head. People are traveling less. I remember traveling to London, let's say twice per month to do B two B sales, meeting people. Um, that's basically gone out the window. I've been to London, I think, once in the past 18 months. Um, so let, let's focus on that today. And let's also, let's just talk about how the world's changed um, in terms of that way of communicating with companies and, and reaching the right people. What do you think has primarily changed? I know it's a big question. It's a huge question. So I think there's a few things that I would say so you could look at it in terms of the big trends that have changed the world. And then I think you could filter it down to some of the trends that I think are going to shape B2B marketing going forward. Um, a few on the agenda. So I think with the rise of privacy on the agenda uh, and browsers reacting to that, like Google Chrome, I think I read that Chrome is planning on phasing out um, external cookies, right? So what does that mean for marketers who want to track customer data? you know, where they're not able to use cookies. So I think uh, we shouldn't be lulled into a false sense of security as the pandemic appears to be easing in, in the West. These future shocks, uh, of which COVID is just the start, I think are only going to accelerate, right? So, you know, I mean, if we look at what's happening in Ukraine, I mean, we weren't expecting that. We certainly weren't expecting uh, the rise of Trump. I think that um, these things are all linked. I think what we can expect is more information security attacks. That's going to have an absolute impact on what we do. Climate change, I think, will lead to more extreme weather events. So what do we draw from that? Well, if we look at the original idea of VUCA, you know, this way of looking at the world, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, I think that one of the ways that we can react as marketers, if we do get these things in the future, is to act with a bit more of an unorthodox way. And of course, that's what uh, that's one of the key things that forced us into so much homeworking. You know, it was traditional. A lot of people might go into the office. Now, suddenly, within two years, so much work is being done digitally and online. So, you know, if we do get these things in the future, one piece of advice I've got for uh, marketers is to think: How can we, what, what sort of things can we do which are a bit unorthodox? So I'll give you a lovely example of unorthodoxy that I came across during the pandemic. Reading in The Economist, it was talking about a Japanese dating agency. I think that what was their name. I, the name escapes me now. Japanese dating agency 
been arranging for people to come together face to face. That wasn't going to work anymore. So they had to think in a bit of an orthodox way. They started arranging uh, car park dates. So they would convert these car parks into dating arenas where people could show up in their cars and do dating, right? Um, probably. Would it work in the UK? Well, I mean, let's think about what happens with people in car parks in the UK. Possibly yeah. better not to. That was outlawed by, uh, I think, the Sexual Offences Act in 2003. But uh, some of you will recognise what I'm talking about there. So uh, privacy. Teams have adapted and people work from home a lot more and, and people, let's say, work hybrids. How does that affect getting in contact with um, B2B decision makers or making yourself known uh, to companies now? You say people should it's, be a bit unorthodox. What do you mean by that exactly? I mean, I, I don't have a view on being unorthodox and contacting people because, you know, from my own perspective, uh, running mod comms, we have very good networks. Yeah, so we we didn't have to be too unorthodox. I suppose the, the main unorthodoxy uh, that I could sort of give as as a personal experience during the pandemic. Um, and okay, you may okay, you may want to edit this out, but uh, I'll, I'll say it anyway. Um, Pre pandemic, one of the thing, one of the activities that Modcoms was involved with was a pop up virtual reality arcade, right? So we would be going along to client events. We had our uh, quite sophisticated gaming PCs running these uh, experiences, uh, scaffold with sort of um, safety harnesses and all sorts. And if you don't think you need safety harnesses in VR, I can tell you you do. I've seen a CEO of a corporate bank rolling around on the floor before because he got ultra competitive. Um, so what one of the things that happened during the pandemic for us was that, of course, events just stopped. So literally that side of the business just went, it, it just disappeared. And I thought, right, okay, well, we, we're quite interested in doing this still. We'd like to do something with VR. So we sold all of the hardware that uh, was used for that pop-up VR arcade. And indeed, what we did was invest in, if I can show this to the camera, 15 of these uh, headsets, these VR headsets with some flight cases. We started running events for clients in virtual reality. So in what's now termed the metaverse, even though metaverse goes back to the early 90s, but we were running events, team building events for clients during the pandemic. So I suppose for us, that would be an example of being a bit unorthodox. You know, we've lost one side, but, but through a bit of agile thinking, uh, we, we could enable it. So I can only really speak from my own uh, experience there. Um, I think the the issues that uh, you know marketing directors are facing. In fact, just before this interview, I was talking to one of our clients, and you know I consider him to be a bit of a maverick in marketing director terms. And you know one of the things that he's been saying for years is he's he's now removed all of the gates from their content. Uh, he just thinks, well, actually, we shouldn't be putting up barriers uh, anymore from people to get hold of us. And he he actually he genuinely believes that it's just better to be in the conversation when prospects are have reached that point of buying. So just being present in the market and just sort of constantly being around, I think is is it just seems to be, especially for those big ticket items, you know, you're just going to have more credibility than trying to push that product on people. Another thing he once said to me is he's, uh, this was at a previous employer of his. He said, well, you know, I do quite a lot of traveling and sometimes I'm coming back through Heathrow 
And I think to myself, why don't I just get rid of the entire marketing team and just spend my marketing budget on building presence in airports? And thought that's quite an interesting one, you know. So obviously, building a lot of familiarity with uh, with business buyers as they come through airports. But no, I mean, in, in all seriousness, I think what what they do have now is, of course lots of tools which can mine that data that you're talking about in order to uh, find um, find the contacts that they need, right? Yeah. So I can't name any specifics for you at the moment, but certainly I've come across plenty of people who are using those sorts of tools. I think you meant you, you I just want to pick up on one point there. You mentioned about this marketing person that you spoke to, there's a little bit of a maverick and um, let's say opening up all gated content to make them to make themselves more open. Um, I mean, I... Th- I think that is absolutely crucial now um, that if companies want to be more trustworthy and they want to, let's say, potentially win uh, win bigger clients and let's say be, be number one, well, I don't think being number one is the most important thing, but let's say showing that they, they, they're really good at what they do. I think transparency and almost giving away your key secrets is really important because it's effectively... You're making it easily accessible. People will trust you a lot more. Uh, I mean, you, would you agree with that? Do you think that's a, a, a key strategy that people should follow? Uh, absolutely. You know, I can give you a brilliant case study of this. And I even rem- I remember it so clearly. It goes back to 2006. And I know this is a bit smaller scale than some of our B2B listeners here, B2B marketing listeners. But there's a great story of a plumber in South London. And uh, what he started doing, this was in the early days of blogging. He started blogging his jobs, right? So he would go along, he'd take photos of whatever this joint was that joined to that joint. And he would sort of describe in infinite detail what he did. And uh, as a result, he became quite well known. And he had more business than he knew what to do with. Because I think what people recognized was, here's a guy that's enthusiastic. Here's a guy that shows us what he's actually doing. Um and uh, of course, you know, like, yes, you might be able to learn how to do it, but maybe you've got better things to do or, you know, you've got other things to do that that aren't plumbing. Right. So I think sort of just building that trust, you know, through transparency just seems obvious to me as, as a means of sort of uh, getting people to say, yeah, this is an organization. This is an individual that I want to buy from. Um, I think that one of the things that's kind of just going back a step that's changed is that. We are increasingly in the corporate world, I think, in a remote first way of working, right? So one of the things that I see is that those sort of traditional kind of chucking loads of sort of effort into live meetings with people, I think that needs to come at a much later stage than it might well have done it before. And one reason is, is that you might be selling to um, maybe a CTO in what would have been the Ukraine before, right? So I think that leadership and buyers are more distributed as a result of the pandemic. And in part, what that is, I think, because we've seen um, contracts coming up for renewal or employment, people leaving jobs and firms during the pandemic were saying, oh, you know, like, should we be investing in the same way? You know, can we find uh, somebody in a, in a different geography to spread our risk, to increase our resilience? So I think that being prepared to reach out to people in different time zones is only going to be more important. And I think, therefore, marketers need to look more at using sort of personalization, but also asynchronous tools. So tools that aren't reliant on what you and I are doing, speaking live, but actually maybe allowing people to speak in 
uh, in stages. So have you ever seen, I'll never forget, um, I used to travel to China a lot between 2013 and 19. And the very first time I got on the metro in Shenzhen, I couldn't work out, why is everyone just leaving messages for each other on the phones? You know, like they weren't phoning each other. They would just speak into the phone, yeah. leave a message, and then they'd hear another one come back. And uh, over time, I realized what perfect sense that makes. You know, like you're not under pressure to uh, have a live conversation with someone. You can each answer at your own time. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as uh, it's, it's not because of that, but uh, I think clearly these tools like, say, Vidyard, for example, vidyard.com, that enable these asynchronous video conversations to take place are really powerful. And I think they should absolutely be in a marketer's uh, armory, you know, but certainly that personalization is only going to be more important. Clearly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You mentioned um, like Vidyard there as well. So that's that's a tool that you'd recommend. Um, one, that I, one that I absolutely love is Loom. I think Loom is brilliant. Um, just because what I've seen people do really well is when they contact me, um, occasionally, I would say, let's say, once a month, someone will send an email which is linking to a Loom video, and and I've seen one girl, she um, she did one that was personalised. So she just made a one minute video with my name in it, introducing her product. It wasn't really of interest, but I thought, well, wow, that's really good, and I watched it all the way through. Um, so Loom is a really good one that I, I'd recommend. Um, you've mentioned a few others to me as well, Matt. So are there any other useful tools and softwares that people can be using now? So so one, I this is quite personal to me, in part it's because I do a lot of uh, speaking, increasingly now face-to-face, thank God. You know, it's not all done through screens uh, on, the, on the future side. But, you know, I think as more people are, are speaking remotely, you know, using tools like Zoom and Teams, I think from a marketer's perspective, it's really important to up your game a little bit in terms of how you are seen on screen. So there's one that I discovered. This was during the very early stages of the pandemic called Mm-hmm, right, which is spelled M-M-H-M-M dot app is the URL. So M-M-H, M-M-H, mm dot app is the URL. We'll put the URL I mean, it's in, the, in the comments at the end of the video. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah thank you. Uh, and, and for me, it's been an absolute boon, you know, both in terms of uh, marketing when I'm uh, having sort of early uh, calls with prospects and also the professional speaking side. And one of the things is that it allows you to be far more versatile, right? So, for example, I can shrink myself, I can expand myself, I can uh, draw on screen with a marker, I can change whether I'm showing slides or video very straightforwardly. One of the genius features, I think, from a marketing perspective is that it has a function called co-pilot, right? So if you and I were pitching a client, for example, uh, as you were speaking, I could actually control some of the nuances, some of the features of the software that would sh- would change the way that you were presenting. So it might be, for example, you're making a point on a slide. I could turn you into, I could just take the circle of your head and I could move your head up to the point that you were uh, talking about on your slide. You know, or with videos, there's none of that sort of like, oh, I'm just going to share my screen. You know, you've got it on a button. You can you can sort of have these presets and you might say, right, I'm going to play a video now. Kick in the video and it just it just removes you completely at the click of a button and then your video starts playing. So I found that absolutely invaluable. You know, I think it's been a real differentiator uh, to to use that in a world where most people are, are you know, for obvious reasons, just using the commonly available tools. I think anything that helps you stand out 
in presentations or indeed in in calls can only be a good thing. And as I say, I've had really positive feedback from uh, prospective clients, uh, existing clients, and then on the speaking side as well. Brilliant. Okay, so, so uh, that's one I'm a big advocate for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good name. Mm-hmm. And um, Vidcast. Was it Vidcast? Sorry, Vidyard. Sorry, and uh, Vidyard, yeah. and then Loom from me. Loom. Any others that but really stand out to you at the moment? I mean, is there anything else that's standing out to me? I mean, I'll be honest with you, Justin. I mean, a lot of the work that we do at Modcoms with clients, it's it's still quite manual. You know, so we are lucky to have uh, clients that spend good money with us to provide a very sort of consultative and personalized service. And so a lot of the work that we do might involve, for example, producing an event, you know, or it could involve creating content. But it wouldn't for us be sort of algorithmic type content. Uh, It would usually be around that horrible idea of thought leadership. Um, but I think what you're pointing to, if I may, is to sort of just look at the sheer number of technological options that are available to uh, to marketers nowadays. And, you know, did, was it, did you mention earlier the, the MarTech, what's it called, the MarTech? MarTech Landscape. Well, you shared it with me originally, so I think it's just called the MarTech Landscape. MarTech and, Landscape. And there are 8,000, um, yeah, marketing technology softwares available in that landscape. 8, and, and to put that into context, I think it's really important that when um, I his name was Scott, someone who started developing that that huge infographic, he started that in 2011. When he started that, it had 150, right, in 2011. Uh, the last uh, data I looked at for that was 2020. That was 8,000, right? Yeah. So that's something like, that's over 5,000% increase in the number of providers, okay? Um, I also looked into this stat. Uh, Gartner found that uh, 68% of CMOs had increased their spending on technology during 2021. And in part, that's the disruptions that result from uh, the pandemic. But when you look at it, it looks unfathomable, doesn't it? It's just like the sort of melange of logos, you know, on screen. You and he's great. You can't you... see the logos if you're honest. No. You need a magnifying glass, yeah. Absolutely, and and you know, that, and that's classified. I was I read it's classified into six categories. So you've got uh, software that relates to advertising and promotion, content and experience, social and relationships, commerce and sales, data and overall management. But then each one of those has another six to ten categories in it. So you know, you might have advocacy, loyalty, and referrals, or channel partner and local marketing. And then each category might have between 12 and several hundred uh, vendors in it. So it's it's a bit of a sea to navigate. But I think what's really good for for us is it's it just sort of gives us a start point. You know, so if you're like, okay, I'm a channel marketer and I'm looking for some software to support me. It's a great start point just to go, okay, well, I didn't know that there were uh, 20 subcategories in, in channel and partner marketing. And then just gives you a start point, I think, to be able to uh, sort of navigate. So it's it's an incredible tool, you know, and probably the best bit of B2B marketing that guy's ever done. Yeah, that's absolutely. I mean, it must have been a huge amount of work to put that all together. And absolutely fascinating that it started at around about 156 or so, and then went up, it's gone up to 8,000. Um, I wonder... If we were to look again in another five years or 10 years, if the number's gone up or down, because surely there'll be market consolidation and surely some of them unfortunately won't make it. So Mm. I myself have started up Shopala. That is a 
software for shoppable ads. That's an e-commerce software tool. Software tools are notoriously hard to to actually make a big success because um, you've got to get people into them, using them. They've got to be sticky and, and they've got to actually be very useful um, mm. and, and give good results. So I'm interested to see what what that landscape is like in in, in a few years' time. Let, let's see if it grows even further or or, or it shrinks. Um, okay. Hey, we hope you are enjoying this podcast. If there is subjects you would like discussed or questions answered, drop us a line at info at shapala.io. FutureFuzz, your guide to digital marketing. Even as a futurist, I, I tend not to forecast events, right? I don't think... Yeah, I, I find it very difficult to forecast events, but I think the one, the game changer for all marketers. So I'm doing a new book at the moment called Future Hackers. And the first t- uh, chapter is what I call the foundational technologies. So what I'm saying is, I think that there are two massive technologies for the 21st century, right? The first is biotechnology. So this is uh, what what um, this is working with essentially live biology, you know. And so the most famous of which, which some of your uh, listeners will have heard of, will be CRISPR, which is gene editing tools. Um, you could, for example, expect that by about 2050, and trust me, there's enormous amounts of money going into this. Not only will we be able to halt the aging process, but the wealthier people in society might even be able to reverse it, right? That's the scale. That is the sort of thing that I think is is coming in the next sort of two decades or so. But as far as marketers are concerned, I think what we, you know, we're on the cusp of something completely different. You know, the foundational technology of artificial intelligence, right? Uh, we're not at intelligent level technology. What we are, and I imagine so many of the uh, technologies in the MarTech infographic will have some sort of basis in it, is around machine learning, um, understanding big data, um, you know, natural language generation, these sorts of things. We are at the stage where they, these technologies can do very narrow things, right? So it might be able to uh, tell you the weather in the case of your phone or in the case of marketing. Perhaps it can sift through enormous amounts of uh, data in order to give you some meaningful insight. But we're nowhere near intelligence. When we do reach uh, what computer scientists uh, believe to be artificial general intelligence, the point at which a machine has the same level as a, as a human being, the game changes completely then. You know, the game changes completely. So this is, you know, it's all very well looking at these individual technologies, but, you know, as somebody who's sort of interested in the future, I would be spending a bit of time looking at where is artificial intelligence heading? You know, what sorts of things will it be capable of doing? And then from our perspective as marketers, anything that is systematic, process-driven, repeatable, any sort of task like that, you need to be running a million miles away because that's just going to be eaten up. You know, I think that for us as marketers, and one of my hopes will be, is that maybe we we might see a bit of a return to human creativity. Imagine yeah, that in absolutely. marketing campaigns. Yeah, creativity. You know, wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah, uh, in fact, one of my clients once told me... One of the most wonderful campaigns I heard, it was a B2B campaign that one of my clients ran, and I thought it was absolute work of genius. It was called something, he was working for a software client, and I think he said something, the campaign was called something like, jumpstart your X, you know, whatever it was, you know, like whatever your process was. I can't, you know, it was years ago. And uh, he said he gave, a, he gave out 
jump cables, you know, those cables that allow you to um, connect your car to another car when you've got a flat battery. And he said he'd never had such a positive response. You know, like there were the clients or the potential clients would just, even if they didn't buy, they would write back and say, that was perfect. You know, now I've got a set of jump cables in my bed. <laughs> and, and I just think that's something that uh, a machine probably, and I'm going to take a guess, it's going to take a while for a machine to come up with that level of creativity. Yeah. You know, like it, it might be able to uh, produce beautiful, creative uh, works of art and even manipulate language as well. You know, I mean, we've already got these uh, technologies. I forget the name. The one started in 2010. Uh, these content creation um, um, applications that are using AI. Uh but uh, that creativity, you know, I think that this is something that humans will always appreciate for a good while to come. Seems to have taken a bit of a back burner, though, unfortunately, with so much sort of data-driven marketing that takes place. Well, what's your experience? I, I think creativity, I think we're in danger of, like, I think, let's, let's look, look, look at AI. So where AI will um, bring a lot of benefit is to take away potentially the mundane or help us with a lot of uh, a lot of tasks that maybe human beings struggle with i'm just thinking on the top of my head i'm thinking hey when i think about ai and marketing i do think of better customer service i, I think customer service agents could benefit from having tools that they could use in their day-to-day -day. we could you see it now with chatbots i think chatbots are the very very beginning of mm -hmm. using ai and marketing with things like customer service um I think, though, that there is a risk involved that we get too dependent on technology that our time gets consumed by technology when actually it should be freeing up our time to be more creative. Um, I love I love creativity in marketing. I think that there should be more of it. I, I absolutely love TikTok because TikTok as a social media platform, even though it's not necessarily B2B related, um, from an e-commerce point of view and from a creativity point of view, TikTok focuses on the creativity of a of a piece of one mm. TikTok. You don't gain followers on TikTok. You gain engagement on one particular creative piece. Mm. I love that about the platform. Um, I mean, we could talk about this for hours. Uh, most recent attempt in, in AR. So this would have been Google Glass, which I think they closed in about 2014. Um, one of the things that I see with these types of technologies, and you've seen it with AI, is they kind of, they have, they go through peaks and troughs. And I think that when you look at Google's augmented reality glasses, why did it fail? I think it failed for one very simple reason, which is that the hype didn't meet the reality, right? The reality was sort of slightly clunky looking glasses and, you know, people could even see the camera on the side of the of the glasses. And the reality wasn't sort of particularly rewarding. And so you do see some brilliant um, uh, contextual video. What's his name? Um, there's an East London guy who did a video called Hyper Reality. Search Hyper Reality on Vimeo. Uh, it's a brilliant example of what AR could look like. It's a slightly dystopian, but I highly recommend uh, your listeners do check it out. Hyper Reality on Vimeo. Um, yeah, the hype has got to meet the reality. And I think this is one of the reasons why, again, VR hasn't really kind of come into the mainstream. Yes, it's it's selling more headsets than it did, say, five years ago. Uh, but it's, again, you know, like the, the reality of putting on this chunky set of glasses versus the experience that you actually get 
it's it's not met. And the same, I guess, is with 3D televisions. You know, like, I mean, when was the last time you saw a 3D TV on sale where you had to put the glasses on? So, you know, people sort of enjoy it. It's a novelty. But I think with some of these technologies, you know, for it to move beyond, you know, our current haptic, our touch interfaces on our phones, the experience has got to be significantly richer. So, you know, I think that for VR to really come into the mainstream, it's got to be without glasses. It's probably got to be something more like what we would have seen on Star Trek, you know, the next generation with the holodeck. It's got to stimulate more senses than just our eyes and our ears. I think it's got to stimulate, you know, our sense of smell, our sense of touch, uh, so on and so forth. And so I think sometimes these technologies, they don't come into their maturity. And the same goes with AI, for example. You know, the, the fundamental algorithms of AI go back to the 1950s, right? And AI, as we know it, only really started to mature in about sort of 2011-12. A, because it had access to enormous quantities of data to learn from. And B, because the processing power had actually reached a stage that it could work with that level of data. So, you know, it's interesting. I think AI's got a load of potential, but at what point does it reach maturity? That's at what point does it reach mainstream acceptance? You know, and when is it widely used? And um, you know, I wouldn't believe any of the forecasts on it right now. I think it's a brilliant technology. It's just not quite there for, I think, mainstream marketing. Now, could it be used in the context of um, working once you're actually talking to a customer and you're face-to-face -face with a customer? Could you use it then? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. You know, Could you, let's say that you're a property developer, for example, and you want to show what a site is going to look like. You know, You could pull out your big tablet even now uh, lay it over your uh, building site and then get a very clear idea of how that building might look in context, you know, as you're, when you're in that stage of raising funding for it. So, it does, yeah, it, it, does, uh, it does feel a little bit clunky, especially with goggles. Mm. And um, it, I had a friend who said that they'd had meetings, um, you know, and that they'd had great experiences. Um, let's say, call them metaverse type meetings. And I, but then only a few, only a handful, um, mm. and not doing and not pushing to do it every single time. No, because as it's not really, it's not, not very immersive experience. It's a bit clunky. Um, I think it will take a long time. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to pick you up on that, Justin, as somebody who was selling metaverse meetings during the pandemic. I think actually the experience can be very rich. You yeah. know, there's things that you can do in the metaverse. So, for example, in things like design thinking, for example, because you can manifest 3D objects in the metaverse, you can think through, say, product development, for example. Uh, it's very good when you want to sort of organize a process. You're designing a process for the first time. The clunky aspect, I think, comes from using it regularly. You know, so the headset that I just showed you, which was an Oculus Quest with um, uh, some headphones attached, uh, very portable, still quite clunky. The thing is, you don't want to be in it for more than about an hour at a time. And why you know? is that? It's, it, well, I think like partly it, it just, don't forget, it's like putting a screen. It's like yeah. me walking up to my monitor and putting it right in front of my eyes, right. right? So the resolution isn't quite high enough, I think. So your eyes are always sort of slightly challenged by it. Um, there's a certain, occasionally a bit of latency as well. So if you move too quickly, you get a little bit of... Um, uh, motion blur, let's say, that can be sort of a bit off-putting. Um, but yeah, it's just, I don't think it's quite mature enough. Not, yet. Not you know, yet. I think it's got, yeah. absolutely got application, just not quite there. There's a really interesting article in the, in the Economist, I think it's this week, and it talks about the next mobile phone. And the headset 
is being pinned as the, you know, let's mm. say we had the mobile phone, it was revolutionary. I remember working in the orange shop when I was at uni, selling mobile phones like hotcakes. Um, it, it was the, the, the mobile phone that's changed well, the iPhone, the biggest game changer of them all. Um, everyone's looking like, what is the next device that's going to replace that? Or not necessarily replace that, but be the next one. And it's and it's the headset. So maybe, the, I mean, the amount of money that Facebook are plowing mm. into development of that technology, it's, it's insane. So maybe it won't take that long, but I agree with you. I think it's not. It's it's not there yet. We're still at no. very very early days, definitely. I mean, you mentioned Facebook and and their their metaverse. You know, I think I'm not sure that the metaverse is going to look like what Mark Zuckerberg would like it to look. You know, what one of the things in the course of doing this book that I've come to realize is that the young people, the young, the talented, the creative people, they're not interested in going to the tech uh, giants, which they might have been five, ten years ago. It mm. would have been like, oh, wow, I get to work for Google. What they're now doing is saying, how do we create the next Google? You know what? Well, so I think that these these not only I think is the technology going to look different, but the way in which it's used is going to look different as well. I think that you know the younger generations are. Um, I'm I'm delighted you were my first guest, the first of many, hopefully, and and I'm glad we kept in touch over the years. Um, I mean, where where do we start? We've I mean, one of the key things for me today was being. Um, being more adventurous in your communications, trying new things. We talked about mm. being future ready. I, th I think um, that was absolutely brilliant. We've touched on tools. Uh, you recommended to use mm -hmm and, and and others. We'll we'll put the link at the bottom of the um, the video on YouTube. Um, is there anything? Oh, we talked about being unorthodox. I think that's absolutely key in in challenges we face marketing today. We talked about. Um, AI and augmented reality and even touched on the metaverse today. So we covered a lot. Hmm. Um, anything you'd like to, to finish off with today? I mean, the final thing that I would say, and this applies to marketing, it applies to HR, it applies to any of the business functions, right, is recognize that, you know, AI is the game changer. It is the foundational technology of this century. You probably don't need to worry too much about biotech as far as marketing goes. Though, you know, who, who am I to say? Perhaps some of you will be offering um, uh, get 10 years added to your life, you know, if you buy into our products. Perhaps, perhaps that's something for the future. But, you know, with that means that we as marketers, we as finance professionals, we as HR people, we got to focus on getting better at being human beings, right? And that means getting better at being empathetic with people. That means becoming better leaders, better leaders recognizing that, you know, you're working with a wide range of generations. The number of generations in the workforce is between three and four at the moment. As people live longer, that's going to become five to six, right? So, how do you communicate with people? You know, particularly at what sort of, how do you communicate with these different generations when you're marketing to them? You know, is somebody in their late 50s really going to have that much of a clue uh, marketing with somebody who might be influential on a buying decision who's in their 20s? So, you know, let the machines do what they're good at, which is those repetitive system, systematic and process driven things. Focus on these things, which Justin focused on creativity uh, being agile, unorthodox, um, uh, that leadership component, and of course, that creativity. And no, anything that a machine can't do, 
that we can, yeah. that's what's going to push you up the value chain. And, and a great way of summarizing this would be um, Google will give you a billion answers, but it can't ask a question, right? Only you can ask questions, you the listeners, right? So always be thinking, how can I ask questions? How can I find new relationships between, you know, point A and point B? And, you know, I think you're going to be safe for a while to come. If you're focusing on anything to do, anything that the machines can do or will likely be able to do those repetitive things, you're for the dustbin. It's as simple as that. That's an absolutely brilliant quote. And on that note, thank you very much, Matt. It's a pleasure to have you here. And hopefully, maybe we can do one again in the future. Um, and yeah, just brilliant to have you here today. And thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in and making the choice to listen to this podcast. If you liked what you've heard today, please don't forget to subscribe. Future Buzz is sponsored by Shapala. Shoppable ads and express checkouts for e-commerce. Future Fuzz, your guide to digital marketing.